You're listening to the Business of Environment podcast with Mark Roman. Welcome to the Business of Environment. My name is Steve Gordon. I am your temporary host today, and we're continuing our series uh, talking about environmental gorillas. And uh, today I've got uh, Mark Roman here, who is the expert in finding environmental gorillas. Mark, welcome. Good to good to be back with you. Thanks, Steve. So, uh, Mark, we we've gone through a number of of topics, you know, around this idea of environmental gorillas in this series. And I'd love for you to just give everybody a, a quick overview if they hadn't caught all of the other episodes. What is an environmental gorilla and what are we really talking about here? And then let's get into some of the specifics that people should be looking for. Sure. Um, environmental gorillas, well, the, the invisible gorilla is a famous uh, uh, experiment done by Harvard a few years ago. And uh, it's basically identifies the limits of, of our human observational skills. And uh, essentially, we, we lose a lot of detail when we are in certain situations and we don't see a lot of things. We overlook a lot of things. And we've applied this whole aspect to the environmental field itself. And we've coined the phrase invisible environmental gorillas. And, and these gorillas are essentially born out of our human tendencies to focus at on tasks at hand when we have a job to do that's primarily where our focus stands and then we develop more or less tunnel vision and and we do we 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 don't see detail around us and that in combination with familiarity blindness where uh when we're in facilities or, or or environments that we are comfortable in like work and home we, we kind of tend to mute our obs- observational skills. So that also limits how much detail uh, we see around us. And the, and the combination of those two aspects really limits what we see around us. And we lose a lot of detail. We, we, we don't see a lot of important things going on around us. And, and that leads to these invis- invisible environmental gorillas, which are probably the, the largest uh, exposure and risks you have at your facilities. And these gorillas love to to lurk in in the details at your facility. So we reviewed all of that in detail in in our last uh, episode and also some vital rules to follow when you're looking for these gorillas, when you're hunting them down. And uh, what we wanted to talk a little bit about today are some common gorillas we see at a lot of facilities that we visit. And the, the most important thing before you start looking and hunting down these gorillas is, is really to get your mindset in the proper way. And uh, during our last episode, we recommended a good exercise that we, we recommend to all of our clients. And that is to think of your facility as a box. It's got a top, a bottom, and, it's, and sides. And in that box, you have materials that are stored. And if, if any of those materials are released or spilled, uh, you want to uh, avoid them from escaping out of that box and impacting the exterior environment. So what do you need to do? You need to look at for these potential pathways to the environment through that box, through your facility. And that's where these invisible environmental gorillas lurk. And you want to make sure those pathways are eliminated. So in essence, with that mindset you know, established, thinking of your facility as that box, we can go ahead and start hunting for gorillas. And um, 
the one question we're we're often asked whenever we visit a facility is where should we start looking first to find these gorillas? And this applies to facilities, both large and small. And whatever you do at your facility, it applies in, in a similar fashion. And the one area that we've seen at, at pretty much every facility that, that we visit is that uh, ground zero for unidentified environmental risks is usually in uh, chemical liquid handling storage and usage areas. So if you have any, any kind of chemical or liquid materials that are stored at your facility or where you handle them or where you use them, that's primarily where the ground zero is for, for where these gorillas lurk. And this could be your shipping receiving area, your, your storage areas, warehousing, bulk storage, drum storage areas, on your production floor where you're actually using these materials. Don't forget your maintenance shops and you know anything similar to that. Wherever these materials are primarily handled, stored, and used, that's where you can find these gorillas hanging around. And this is primarily where you have the highest risk, as I mentioned, and uh, for potential exposures and, and, and liabilities. And that's where we primarily recommend that everybody start. Now, from there, you, you need to start looking for these potential pathways. And uh, when they're identified at your facility, you need to kind of address them in some fashion. And that's what's key here, though. The hardest part about hunting for gorillas is the actual aspect of identifying them. And then once you've identified them, your job is pretty much almost complete. But now you have to eliminate potential pathways to the environment. And don't forget to follow up on what you did to eliminate that pathway and keep that as part of what we always recommend as, as, as part of your preventive maintenance is include that task of keeping up on that, that issue, whether whatever you did to eliminate that pathway. And, and we'll identify this and it'll make a little bit more sense as we go through some common gorillas uh, in, in the following step. But, you know, identification is the hardest part. Addressing it and then el eliminating it is, is easy, but they're, they're equally important to address and to keep track of. So, Mark, what, what are some of the common things people should be looking at uh, around their facility? I, I'm sure there are just a lot of places that are really, um, you know, that exist on all facilities that cause problems and, and people are overlooking. So where should people begin looking? So, so, you know, again, keeping in mind your chemical liquid handling storage and usage areas, one of the primary gorillas that we see probably accounts, this gorilla accounts for uh, the vast majority of any remediation efforts we have to do at a facility uh, under a building, if there's impacted soil or groundwater below the building. And that gorilla is uh, unsealed floor seams, joints, and cracks uh, in your floor. So, you know, think about it. There, we, we identified before looking for potential pathways to the environment, right? Unsealed floor seams, joints, and cracks pretty much everybody has these at your facility. And if you have them located in an area where you have chemical or liquid handling usage or storage activities, you have to eliminate that pathway to the environment. And the easiest way to do that is to seal these pathways, these uh, floor seams, joints, and floor cracks. Eliminate that pathway altogether. And uh, um, 
the key here, and this is really just using common sense, and, and that that's something that really has to be applied across the board when you hunt for environmental gorillas also, is using your common sense. Now, think about this. When you want to seal your floor seams, joints, and cracks, you want to make sure you use a sealant that does not break down when it comes into in contact with anything that you may have you may be using, storing, or um, potentially can be released in that area. So that if if a material is released and it comes in contact with the sealant, you want to make sure that sealant stays intact. I can't tell you how many times we go into a facility where the facility identifies these pathways, these unsealed floor seams, joints, and cracks. They put a sealant down, and within a couple of months, that sealant's is no longer present and that pathway exists again to the to the environment. And the primary reason behind that is the sealant that they use degrades when it comes in contact with whatever they're storing using in that mature in that, in that area where it was released. So it's important to do your homework to make sure whatever sealant you use stays intact and does not degrade with whatever material you're using in that area. Pretty simple common sense, but I can't tell you how many times we come across this and the same issue occurs over and over again at a variety of different facilities. So, so it's important that you do your homework on, on the type of sealant you use. So you've identified the gorilla, you've made a measure to control that gorilla, you applied that sealant. Now you want to make sure that you, you keep up on that, that gorilla and that it doesn't, that these gorillas don't come and you know, bite you in the butt again. So you want to make sure that sealant stays intact. And and the easiest way to do that is include that task of inspecting these floor seams, joints, and cracks and the sealant that you applied. Include that as part of routine PM, preventive maintenance, so that every time uh, your maintenance crew checks on something in that area, it could be a pump, a machine, anything uh, in that area, Add another task to that inspection to say, look at floor seams, joints, and cracks to make sure sealant's in place and there's no pathway to the environment. By including that simple measure into your PM tasks, you're you're ensured that these gorillas will not come back and haunt you in the future. So this is a very common issue that we see at a lot of sites, these floor seams, joints, and cracks. And that is the primary primary gorilla that causes a lot of significant environmental issues at facilities. Because once a release occurs and you impact soil or groundwater below your building, your dollar figures increase significantly to address that, those issues. And a very, very similar common one like that are floor drains. Everybody has floor drains at your facility. But what everybody should have is a map that shows the locations of each of those floor drains and where those floor drains discharge to. Now, don't assume your floor drains discharge to the sewer system. Over the years, we've been in brand new buildings, newly constructed, never occupied, all the way through to old buildings that are you know, over 100 years old. And in many cases, we've seen floor drains that do indeed discharge to the sewer system as they should be. But we've also come across floor drains that discharge to an on-site stormwater pond or an on-site septic system that nobody knew about. Some cases, we actually saw floor drains that were never connected to any underground 
sewer piping and they just discharged below below the building. The, the contractor that built the building forgot to connect the floor drains for some reason. So don't assume that your floor drains discharge to your, your sewer system. You need to confirm that. And once it's confirmed, you're done. The only thing you want to do with, with this gorilla floor drains is to keep your floor drains uh, clear, keep them clean and debris free so that they function the way they're supposed to be supposed to function and look for any cracks and uh, open seams around your floor drains. Make sure they're, that they're sealed so that nothing passes uh, through the floor and impacting what's going on below your building. So, Mark, I mean, it sounds like the first and number one place to look is any place along the floor where water could run out. And you're probably walking over top of these things every day and you take them for granted. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, these things, these things become invisible and, you know, they're known to be there, but you know, how much damage could a floor crack cause? How much damage could a, uh, an improperly operating floor drain cause? Well, it could cause a lot of damage. <laughs> well, yeah, let's, let, let's make that real for everybody. I mean, you, you've dealt with these issues all over the country, you know, can you give us an example or two, uh, and we won't name names, but can you give us an example or two of people that are companies, facilities that have had these issues that sound so simple to address, but probably resulted in some pretty hefty remediation bills? Because when you start trying to remediate something underneath a building, it's just so so difficult to get to, and you're you're going through floor and you're doing all kinds of things. So what what does it look like if you don't pay attention to these things and you have an issue? Well, a lot of times what, what happens is, you know, materials released, whether it's from an improperly operating piece of equipment, uh, poor mismanagement of materials, you know, poor housekeeping, anything of, the, of that nature. And if you're lucky and something's released, your floor looks like a mess, right? And that's if you're lucky because it's not draining anywhere. It's not finding this pathway to the environment. It's just accumulating on your floor. However, what we find is is a lot of you know some of these facilities where they have these unsealed floor seams, joints, and cracks, the material doesn't accumulate on the floor. So years can go by where you could have this a, a leak out of a piece of equipment that nobody's noticing because it's escaping, it's not accumulating on the floor, it's going down one of these pathways, and it, it, it's not called to anyone's attention. And all that material now is accumulating below your building. So depending upon what kind of conditions exist below your building, if you have a shallow groundwater table, you know, if your your water is pretty shallow, it's only within a couple of feet of your surface, this material has a greater chance of impacting groundwater. And remediation effort it increases significantly orders of magnitude when once you start impacting groundwater, because now that that material spreads out further, that release material has a chance to spread out further. Now, how do you get access to to this this issue, this impacted material, the soil and groundwater below your building? Very difficult um, to try to address this while keeping your facility running and not affecting what you're there to do. You know the business that you're there to do at that facility, and. The, the thing about working with something that's underground is you have no idea where it goes because you can't see it. And so there's all these preferential pathways that exist below a building where you, your utility lines run, where uh, 
a release material uh, favors a, a path of least resistance. And so you can have a release in one area of your facility and it could end up spreading out throughout your whole area below your building, depending upon how much, how many paths uh, uh, of least resistance exist under your building. Then it, it develops into uh, vapor intrusion issues, potential vapor intrusion issues, which is a hot button topic uh, with regulators in our country right now. And depending upon what's being released. It, and, and so, you know, with, with all of these added issues being piled on top of each other, your, your exposures, your risks, your liabilities, your costs skyrocket. So it's so important even with minor releases, you know, don't just ignore them, address them quickly because minor releases could add up in the long run and create a big problem for you at your site. So if we've looked at the, the floor seams and the floor drains, where, what's the next area that folks should be thinking about? One area that, that goes really unnoticed quite a bit at a lot of facilities is, um, roof leaders off of our building roofs. A lot of these roof leaders, you know, they're not only located outside your building where in the roof drains your, your stormwater off of uh, the roof directs your stormwater to these roof leaders and drains it off the roof. A lot of facilities have these roof leaders located inside the building and they're usually found along column lines. And, um, you'll, you know, there are these big pipes that connect to the roof and go all the way down your column line and then your building columns, and then they go into the, the through the floor, and they connect to your your on-site stormwater management system. What you need to remember here is that these are roof leaders that are supposed to handle stormwater only. They're not designed, or they're not supposed to be handling wastewater. And what we find in at some facilities is, um, for example, um, in, in one paint shop we worked at. They needed to put in a sink to, to clean all of their paint guns at the end of each shift. And there was a roof leader, stormwater roof leader, that passed near the, this paint shop. And they actually tapped into that roof leader the drainage from the sink, thinking that that roof leader was a sewer pipe. And so whatever they cleaned in that sink, whatever paints were used, solvent-based, water-based paints, however they cleaned that that paint gun was drained out of that sink, discharged into this roof leader. And at this particular site, the stormwater management system, all of the stormwater that came onto the roof of the building, drained through these roof leaders, ended up in, the, in, uh, in an on-site pond. Now, all that material that's, that was drained out of that sink because it was connected to a roof leader ended up in that pond also, creating a a pretty significant remediation effort uh, at this site. So what you need to do is walk around your facility, identify your roof leaders, and label them as stormwater only, no wastewater. And if you see any connections to those roof leaders, disconnect that, you know, any of those connections that aren't supposed to be there, make sure you disconnect them and, and uh, so that the only thing entering these roof leaders is stormwater. I mean, that, that seems like such a, a challenge. I mean, you, you walk around and people have connected things and, and they probably have been there for years and years and nobody questions it. And, and now you've got something that's going out. You think it's going, you know, to the right place, but 
in in truth it's going out in, into the the soil are there other areas that that you guys typically key in on as you because I, I can i can tell that as you go to a site you're probably going through this checklist as you walk around a site i know you do gorilla inspections for for folks and and we'll look for these things and so what's next on your checklist subs trenches and pits um all primary pathways to the environment especially if there's any structural integrity issues in them and the things that we see at many facilities with sumps, trenches, and pits is nobody cleans them. They're there for a purpose to handle or control a release of something or uh, to direct material to a certain area, but they're hardly ever cleaned out and inspected for integrity. And what you find out with these sumps, trenches, and pits is many times they develop cracks or a seam goes uh, unsealed in it. So any material that enters that sump trench or pit could end up going through that potential pathway to the environment and impacting what's below your building. And the key to sumps, trenches, and pits that'll really eliminate much of the, the exposure and liability is to just keep them clean. You know, make it part of routine PM, preventive maintenance, to clean them out. And as you're cleaning them out, you can inspect them for these cracks and these settlements or uh, any structural issue that you may find and repair it before it becomes that pathway to the environment. So it's, it's pretty simple and straightforward. You know, do that effort to clean them out so you can safely inspect them. And it makes your life so much easier to inspect them. And one of the, and, and one of the biggest issues we see at any facility that has an elevator is an elevator shaft, the bottom of an elevator shaft. How often is that looked at? And whenever we've looked at elevator shafts, we usually see oil from the hydraulic mechanisms used in elevators, you know, leaking over time. And we often see, see water. And a lot of times what that water is, is groundwater. So that, you know, these, these shafts, the bottom of the shafts below grade. And if you have a shallow water table, and water's accumulating there, that means water is making its way into the bottom of that shaft. So what does that mean? So that anything now that's in the bottom of that shaft can equally have an opportunity to leave the shaft and, and impact the groundwater and soil below your building. So even in office buildings, you know, don't, don't rule yourself out that, hey, I don't have any chemical liquid handling or storage areas. Elevator shafts sometimes have a significant exposure and liability issue raised when these the bottoms of these shafts go uninspected, you know, keep them clean and debris free. You'll be able to and, and, and inspect them as part of routine PM. And, um, you know, everybody has to, to check their elevator to make sure it's operating properly. Well, as part of that PM, make sure the bottom of the shaft's inspected. Uh, look for oil releases. Look for you know, wet, wet areas. That could mean Groundwater is making its way into the bottom of the shaft. You want to eliminate that pathway to the environment. Another really common area is storage areas. And sometimes when we're in non-manufacturing facilities uh, and we, we go into like a, a janitorial area, uh, storage area, storage closets, we often saw, find some interior storage areas that's just 
really asking for trouble. And some of these are uh, primary candidates are are in these non-manufacturing buildings. And and the key with with storage areas is to just keep them neat and organized. Okay, make sure you're storing compatibles with compatibles. Make sure all of your containers are are tightly closed. You know, make sure they they all have lids on them. Make sure the lids are tightly closed, and make sure all of your containers are properly labeled. One of the favorite things. Uh, people do, and 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 unfortunately, I, I I make this mistake quite a bit. Is you know, five gallon buckets seem to be like gold sometimes. And when a five gallon bucket, whatever it contained, you know, that material is used up, you now have an, a nice empty bucket, and I'm going to store something else in that bucket. And uh, but the thing we always forget to do is we never take the the old label off that container. So a lot of times we'll go into janitorial closets and it's just a complete mess. You have universal waste all over the place. You know, that's your, your fluorescent bulbs, your batteries, nothing's stored properly. You have these buckets of material. They could be paints, uh, sealants, whatever it could be, disinfectants. And, and the tops aren't even, uh, the container lids are not affixed to the, to the, uh, to the containers. Uh, non-compatibles are stored with each other. And also you, you look at, you sometimes come across these questionable containers that, you know, is, is labeled with material A, but it doesn't look like material A is in there. It looks like material B or material C. So you want to make sure your containers are properly labeled. Following those simple steps will significantly reduce your exposures and liabilities, and also eliminate that environmental gorilla altogether. And this storage aspect applies not only to inside your building, but to outside. Same rules apply. Keep your storage areas clean and neat, well-organized, store compatibles with compatibles, make sure your containers are properly labeled and properly closed. One other item you have to include in exterior storage is what happens during weather events to your stored materials? Do they come in contact with precipitation, rain, uh, snow, whatever it may be? And if they do, what happens to any residual material that may have been spilled in that area? What happens to that material when it comes in contact with your precipitation event? Because that material may not only impact your own property, but it also may impact neighboring property, especially if you're in an, an like an industrial park where they, sh- they share stormwater ponds. So you may be impacting other properties, not just your own. So you need to be aware of that. And, and what we, we recommend whenever you have exterior storage areas is, is to consider shelters to, to keep, uh, keep your stored materials from, from being impacted by weather events. And and the thing that occurs to me in all of this, Mark, is these are all relatively inexpensive things to to monitor and pay attention to. But when you do have a release, you're now you're now getting into very complex and expensive territory, potentially litigation, certainly regulatory, you know, challenges and um, and then whatever the mitigation costs are. And so really, this is one of those situations where truly an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And, and, uh, you know, I I think it's valuable that you're bringing all of this to light so that people can begin to look at these areas. So 
Um, I know you've got a few others. What What's next on your list? Yeah, the, before I jump into the next one, the one thing I want to, uh, you know, in light of what you just said, Steve, is everybody needs to keep in mind, it's never too late to start hunting for gorillas. You know, don't think, oh, I've been doing this, you know, in this fashion for 20 years, I never looked for floor seams or, you know, unsealed floor seams, joints or cracks. And so I, I might, I may already have impact below the building. It's never too late to get started, to, to eliminate these pathways to the environment. Because if you eliminate it today, there's less of a problem going to be there tomorrow, right? But if you ignore it today and you ignore it tomorrow, that problem is going to be even more of a problem tomorrow because that pathway still exists. So, so don't think that, you know, you know, it's too late for me to, to get started on this. It, it's not, it's, it's, you always, whenever you have an opportunity to reduce potential exposures and liabilities, jump on that opportunity and you'll start the, you know, the overall reduction in those liabilities and, and uh, risks from, from that day forward. So, you know, don't feel it's too late to do anything about that. The next gorilla that we see at a lot of facilities, and and we don't understand why they exist, and it'll this will make sense in a bit, and that's improperly operating equipment. Okay, the rule to follow here is: if you have a piece of equipment, make sure you're operating it according to manufacturer specifications, and just as important, make sure you're using any spare parts or, or consumables for that equipment that the manufacturer recommends. You follow those, those two simple rules, two things are going to happen. Your equipment life's going to be longer, so you'll get more use out of that equipment, more, more return on your investment in that equipment. Plus, you're going to eliminate the potential gorillas environmental gorillas that exist with improperly operating equipment. We had a site that used uh, vacuum pumps, had a vacuum pump room, had a number of vacuum pumps in it, and all of the vacuum pumps leaked oil, and they couldn't figure out why they leaked oil. So this oil flowed out of the the vacuum pumps, uh, entered unsealed floor seams at the property, impacted soil below the, the building. This oil also was captured in the air emissions from these vacuum pumps, and which the air emissions were directed through a roof stack. And as they were emitted, the oil would actually settle out of the, the emissions, pool up on the roof, come in contact with stormwater. Now that oil's in the stormwater pond on the site. So you could just see where one thing leads to another, and it became a big mess at this site and resulted in a mid to high level six figure remediation effort uh, just from improperly operating equipment. And what, what it boiled down to was that somebody made the decision to save a couple of bucks on some filters uh, that were used on the vacuum pumps. Instead of buying what the manufacturer recommended, you know, that name brand, they bought a generic brand, but it wasn't sized properly. And it resulted in the loss to this oil, both coming out of the machines and, and, and in the emissions from the machines and resulted in this mid to high, high six figure remediation effort. If they just 
follow the plan, you know, instead of trying to save a couple bucks on a filter, get the filter that was recommended by the manufacturer. This release, these, this release would not have occurred. This release occurred over a number of years. They were purchasing more oil than they, they needed to, if they just operated the equipment properly. So, I mean, every page returned with this, this example, it just resulted in more and more costs. So, what we couldn't figure out is how did saving a couple of bucks on a filter make sense in this in this particular situation? So this particular facility, um, you know, whatever equipment they have, they make sure they have a manufacturer rep uh, looking at equipment, recommending any any you know what they need to use, maintenance frequency, so on and so forth. And they follow that to a T and they've never had another situation like this occur at this facility. So uh, we see this at a number, you know, the vast majority of manufacturing facilities we visit, we see a, a you know, similar situation, not to this greatest extent, but, uh, you know, still it, it is an exposure, a liability, an environmental gorilla and just follow manufacturer specifications and use, use the recommended parts and uh, 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 spare parts uh, and consumables for that equipment. And this, this issue will go away. You won't have it at your facility. Makes total sense. Um, you know, it's so easy though. Human nature, I think, is is to to try and take those shortcuts, um, and and certainly easy to do, but uh, big big consequences. So, Mark, we've talked a lot about the physical plant, the buildings and the parts of the buildings and and equipment and all of that. What about you know the environment around the facility? Are there things that you look at there? Absolutely, Steve. One one item we always do is is we make it a point to walk the property. Most notably, walk around the perimeter of your building, outside your building, and look for anything that shouldn't be there, like stress vegetation, lack of vegetation, any staining, anything like that, especially near exterior doors. And what that can mean is something, somebody may be dumping a bucket of something out that door that they shouldn't be dumping. And it's creating an issue outside your building. Uh, we find that at, at a, a lot of facilities uh, by simply walking around the perimeter of your building. You also want to, you know, not only remember not only to look out on the ground, but also look up toward your roof line. We not only have emission points or, or air stacks on the roof of our buildings, but also sometimes out of the side of the building. And oftentimes those, those vents that come out of the side of the building direct material down onto the ground. So you want to make sure that you don't see any staining relative to these exhaust vents that are on the side of your building. And with that in mind, get up on the roof. Make it part of routine preventive maintenance to inspect your roof. Many times we visit facilities and the only time they get up on the roof is, is to find that roof leak you know, that they, they, they've noticed. So what you want to do is get up on a roof and look for any, any material that shouldn't be there. It's quite often we'll, um, we'll come across roof staining near vents, exhaust stacks. Sometimes oil may pull up on the roof if, if something not is not operating properly down below. And, you know, I gave you that vacuum pump emission example just before. And, you want to look for these things because that means something's not operating properly down below in your facility. And that gives you an opportunity to check that out and figure out what's going on. 
And also, remember, whatever's on your roof is eventually going to come in contact with a precipitation event, and that's going to drain off your roof, mix with this water, and wherever your stormwater ends up, whether it's in a stormwater system, a sedimentation basin, or a pond, whatever's on your roof is going to end up down there also. And that's, that could cause a, a pretty significant contamination issue. Housekeeping, pretty much this is a, you know, a given. You need to keep your facility neat, clean, and well-organized, and that eliminates a lot of gorillas right off the bat. So especially when, you know, mostly everybody has old equipment, oil may be leaking out of that equipment, and there's nothing you can do about it but you can manage that leak in some fashion, whether it's, it's with sorbent pads or sorbent booms, or even we've come in into facilities and they put a little trough under where that pump is leaking. That's all fine to manage that gorilla. But what you have to keep in mind is you need to keep on top of that management method. For example, if you're using oil sorbents, make sure you change those sorbents out. Don't wait until they become overly saturated and the oil just passes right through them. Change them out on a routine basis as part of preventive maintenance for that piece of equipment. If you put a little trough underneath that leaking pump, don't wait for that material to overflow out of that little trough. And now it's on your floor or now it's getting over to that unsealed floor crack or seam. What good is that trough doing you now? Keep up on that, drain it out as needed so it doesn't overflow. And then a couple couple minor, uh, well, not minor, but common sense things to keep track of is don't assume anything. You need to confirm things. You know, Don't assume you know what that is or you understand what that piece of equipment does. Confirm it so that you can eliminate any potential gorillas that may, may exist and, and are associated with that. Uh, that area. And, and lastly, uh, if any of you have tenants at, in your facility, make sure you take a look at what they do, understand what they do and how they do it, and, and, and do a walk around to try to identify any potential environmental gorillas there. Because if, if it's the tenant at your property, unfortunately, you may also be responsible for whatever that tenant does because you're a property owner. So, so make sure you're aware of what that tenant's doing at your property also. Yeah, all, all good advice. And uh, we've covered a lot, I know, but I think the most important thing for everybody to understand is that, that uh, these are things to pay attention to. And so, Mark, I know that you go out and you'll go out to a facility if, if they call you in and you'll kind of do an inspection with a fresh set of eyes. And sometimes that can be, I'm sure, really valuable because you're not there every day where things just sort of begin to blend in the background. You don't have that familiarity blindness, uh, you know, that the, the folks on the site do. So you're able to come in and, and identify some of these things. And you've got a pretty well-trained eye because you've been doing this for a long time and you know what to look for. So if if somebody's listening to this and they think they may have an issue, how do they get a hold of you and you know, and, and, and maybe, you know, have you come out and look at their site? Sure, Steve, they, they can give, give me a call at, uh, at Envision 609-208-1885. Uh, they could email me at markroman at envisionenvironmental.com or visit our website, uh, envisionenvironmental.com. 
And um, they could download uh, or request a copy of, the, of our free book on in, hunting for in, invisible environmental gorillas. Uh, they could also request a, a uh, complimentary initial consultation, you know, via phone, or we, we could even come out to the site to do an initial visit with them. And, and just to get a feel on, you know, what's all involved with uh, a, a gorilla assessment or any other remediate uh, environmental issue that they may, they, they may have at their facility. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the book is a great resource. Um, so folks, if you want to get that, you can get a free copy of the book at envisionenvironmental.com. Uh, just scroll down on the homepage and there's a button there where you can request a copy. And I know Mark will get that out to you in the mail. Um, Mark, this has been great. This whole series, I think, has been very valuable. Uh, folks, if you missed any of the earlier episodes, go back and listen to those, um, because in, in each one of those, Mark covers some important aspects to this this whole idea of uh, finding the environmental gorillas. So, Mark, any final thoughts before we wrap up? You know, one thing I'd like to just say is, is uh, when you start looking for gorillas, guys, just use your common sense. It's nothing more, more than that. You know, apply your common sense uh, to the issue. Apply Murphy's Law to the issue, uh, because if anything can go wrong, it will go wrong. Trust me or not. <laughs> and, uh, you know, take a step back and try to look at your facility as a whole. And, uh, and these gorillas will come out and you'll see them lurking in those dark corners pretty readily. And if you, you know, well, any, any of you have a question on anything, just give me a ring. Uh, I enjoy helping people uh, with this issue. And uh, it, it's a good feeling to see when these issues are, are corrected and, and you insulate yourself from, from these uh, potential liabilities and exposures. Perfect. And give, give the phone number one more time. That's 609 208-1885. Perfect. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks, Steve. The Business of Environment podcast is sponsored by Envision Environmental. Do you have environmental gorillas hiding in plain sight at your facility? Chances are you do, and you don't even know it. Discover how to assess your environmental, health, and safety risks, and protect yourself from fines and liabilities before there's trouble. Download a free copy of our book, Overlooked, Hunting the Invisible Environmental Gorilla at EnvisionEnvironmental.com slash free book.